this whole idea of Easter <clears throat> might be for you uh, just something that really religious people seem to care about once a year. Or maybe for you, it's your hope for every day. It's a pretty two different drastic realities that live in. Somebody asked me yesterday, we were having our Easter egg uh, celebration here for the community. Great turnout. Awesome job, volunteers. Shout out to all y'all. Good job. Um, somebody said, so people who don't believe in Jesus, what do they think Easter is for? Like, it just seems weird. Why would they celebrate Easter? And I said, I think uh, any time of the year is good for chocolate. So, um, like, even if they're far from God, you know, whatever, man. The reality is what we're going to talk about this morning, there's a handful of us in this room who believe in this with everything that we are. Like, like we, we believe in this with everything that we are. And if that's not where you are today, I just from the very beginning want to say this. It's super cool that you might not believe everything we're going to talk about today. Like, I, I don't, I'm not offended by that. Uh, I'm not intimidated by that. I don't think Jesus is offended at you for that. Everybody's at a different place on their spiritual journey. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to have a conversation about the words of Jesus. I think it's way better that we hear from him than hear from me or anybody else. And what we're going to hear him say could absolutely change your life. And I believe that with everything in me. Now, one of the things we believe here is that this is the actual word of God. It's cool if you don't believe that either. But we believe this with all of our hearts. And so we say a creed together before we jump into this book. And uh, so if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Um, those of you who are in some of the extra seats, there might not be one underneath the seat in front of you. It's awesome that you're here. I'm really glad that we had to put out seats. That was cool. Uh, we would love to have those out next week, by the way. We, we'll do all this just like this again next week. Um, but there should be a seat, uh, a t- uh, Bible underneath the seat in front of you. That's what, where I was going with all of that. Um, and so we're going to invite you to hold it up in the air. We're going to say a creed together, and then we're going to dive in. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to John chapter 10, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 10. It's page 843. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, we're going to look at a verse in just a minute that we've talked a lot about here at Temple Christian School. Um, this this is a an idea that's been like kind of brewing in my heart for a couple years. And I wrote a sermon that I hope to eventually share. Uh, we were going through the book of Acts uh, as a church, if, if you're if you're a guest today, you don't know that we spent like a hundred years in the Book of Acts, and so um, I was really excited to share this. <clears throat> and then before I had the chance to share this, uh, we were talking and praying about what our theme would be for our school year this year, and I just couldn't get this out of my heart. And so some of these thoughts I, I shared back in August with some of our students. Um, I'm sure they will remember every word that I said. And this will just be a refresher for all of our students. Um, but I truly think, man, if we can just sit in this this Easter Sunday, we will walk out the door and it will be better for us if we can sit in this. This is what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Isn't that uplifting? It just makes you feel warm and fuzzy like a peep on an Easter Sunday. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want to contrast this profound difference. This isn't just like, oh, that sounds like two different things. No, this is two different extreme realities. Jesus said, so I want to unpack this. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life abundantly. The language of having, he came that we would have, is the language of giving. He didn't come for taking, he came for giving. How great is that? The God who's worthy of all praise came so that we could have. He came that we could have what? Life. What we instinctively long for most, what could possibly be better than that? (laughs) And have it abundantly. Fully alive. The language of flourishing. Human flourishing. Restoring shalom. That we would thrive in Him. How incredible is that? This hope of resurrection is not just that Jesus has life. He came so that we could have life. And it's even better than that, that it could be life to the fullest, that we would be fully alive, not just surviving, but abundant life. So let's look at this story of the thief. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal is to take, to take something that does not belong to you. Anybody here ever been robbed? It's an awful experience. It it is, man, you just feel so vulnerable. The thief came to take, not to give. To kill, not to give life. And the language of destroy is tearing down, depleting, to empty, to ruin, for taking, for killing, for emptying. Jesus came for giving, for life, for human flourishing. What a contrast. Friend, Jesus did not just come so that you could go to heaven when you die. That would be good news by itself. It is so much better than that, that what the Christian life actually is, is just beginning to understand a little bit more between here and heaven, how much life he has brought us. He came to give us life, to give it to us abundantly. This Easter Sunday, I wish there wasn't a contrast. I wish there wasn't such a thing as a thief. I wish that the story of Jesus was the only news. The reason the good news is good is because there is bad news. There's opposition To flourishing in this life. Jesus came to end all of that. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about all that brokenness. All that reality of what life looks like when there's a thief. And then he says these two incredible words. But God. (laughs) But God being rich in mercy. I love that language. He's wealthy in mercy. He's straight loaded when it comes to what we need most. Being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, when the thief had done its best work in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. That's Easter hope. That is life abundantly. I want to want to kind of zoom in a little bit. We're going to zoom out in the text, but I want to really focus for just a couple minutes on who is this thief and who is this Jesus? Because the what, life and death, is pretty clear. But the who is pretty interesting. If you grew up in church and you grew up around the Bible, maybe you've heard this text before and maybe you've been taught that the thief in John 10, 10, is the devil. When I grew up, I think that's what I was taught. And here's the thing. It is true. We do actually believe there is an enemy. We do actually believe that he does exist. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. And we think he does want to steal and kill and destroy. But I don't think that's what John 10, 10 is talking about. So I want us to zoom in and talk about who is the thief and who is Jesus. And here's what I would tell you in the context, right? Really, John 10 really should be John 9, part 2. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who'd been born blind. And the really good people got really mad. The really religious people who kept all the rules and had it all together and were really proud of their goodness. They were furious. Jesus healed him on a day you're not supposed to do healing. He didn't follow the rules. And then what we begin to learn is that the true thief in this story is my best. It's me at my very religious best. Here's the thing. If if you came here today thinking that this is a religious gathering i got to tell you, my hope is that this would be very irreligious. Because religion is pride in self. Religion is pride in my goodness. The first verse of this chapter, John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, which he's going to tell us is him in just a minute, spoiler alert. But climbs in by another way, that man, not the devil, is a thief and a robber. I think when I try to work my way into a relationship with God, that will steal from me, that will kill me, and that will deplete me. When I try to be good enough, To earn my way into the presence of God, I will end up thieved. I'll feel empty, dead inside, and like I just can't go on. And maybe that describes your heart today, and I would submit to you, maybe you are putting way too much faith in you today. My best can't give me life. Today I have no faith in my goodness. Matter of fact, the longer I live, the more aware I become of how much less than God's goodness I could ever measure up to. 
That's the whole human story. In Jesus, the whole perfection of God was fulfilled. And all the rest of us fall short of that. Maybe you're better than your neighbor, whatever that means. Maybe you're better than your spouse, or at least you think you are. Maybe you're better than the person who hurt you most. I just can promise you today, you're not as good as God. We have all fallen short of his perfect standard, every one of us. And to put faith in me will result in being thieved. The mantra of our culture today is to believe in yourself. And I'm just telling you, we're going to end up robbed. Jesus invites us to something far more glorious than a religion of self. If the thief is my best, then who is Jesus? Jesus is God's best for the whole world. That's who he is. And we're going to see that in this chapter through two ways that Jesus introduces himself. He's going to call himself the door and he's going to call himself the shepherd, the good shepherd. In the call to worship this morning, I mentioned from the next chapter, which we won't look at this morning, that Jesus calls himself, I am the resurrection and the life. But right here in the middle of this story, he calls himself two other things. He calls himself the door and he calls himself the shepherd. In his identity as the door, we see part of how we find life. In his identity as the shepherd, we see uh, the rest of the picture of how we experience abundant life. So we, we started out in John 10, 10, right? The verse before that, verse number nine, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, that's what you do with a door, right? He will be saved and will go in and out. And find pasture. Jesus is the door that gives us access to a relationship with God. He's the door. Matter of fact, he would say just a couple chapters later from this, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the door. And really in a way, the both the thief and Jesus are kind of doors, if you think about it. Let, let me visualize. Here's a picture of what it means when I'm trying to get to God on my own. Show this door. It's pretty complicated. It's pretty ironic that would be the door of the thief, right? <laughs> when I am depending on my goodness, it's really complicated. The rules keep changing. i got to keep trying harder. i got to add a new thing. And, oh, that one didn't work. Let's try something else. This is what ends up happening when my faith is in my goodness. But here's a picture of what Jesus is as the door. To the one who is thirsty, I say, come. To the one who is hungry and cannot buy bread, I say, come. Jesus invites us to himself through no works of righteousness that we have done, only through his mercy. It's an open invitation. Here's a big difference between how we approach someone's doorway based on whether we're home or whether we're a guest. Right? As a matter of fact, when you're becoming closer friends, you have that awkward stage where you're like, 
Are we close enough to walk in? Or are we still in the knocking stage? I'm not sure. Nowadays, we don't have a ton of door-to-door sales anymore. Um, thank the Lord. It's the best thing that came out of COVID. Um, When people come to our house and knock on our door, they very quickly find out that we have dogs who are very, very loud. They are not dangerous. They will not keep us safe. But they will be obnoxious. And so when someone comes to our door to try to sell us something and they knock on our door and begin to hear the noise inside... They don't just step back. They actually go down the couple steps that lead to the porch. They stand kind of out on the sidewalk. And I've really gotten to the place now in life, and I know this is not very friendly, and maybe this is not what Jesus would do, but we have glass on our doors. And so I just walk up, and I point to the dogs and go, and I walk away. (laughs) The community group that meets in our home We've tried to send the message. The door's unlocked. Just come on in. What Jesus did through his death and his resurrection is he didn't just unlock the door. He opened it and said, if you'll just come, I will welcome you. There's no standing outside like a stranger in the rain. He invites us into a relationship with God that we could never earn for ourselves This is the good news. He's the door. That's what welcomes us into life. Life abundant. But we also see that Jesus calls himself something else. He's going to call himself the good shepherd. So, um, but before we move on, let me get, look again at verse number nine. I want to say this before we move on. This is important. Notice that Jesus says that, uh, that if we enter by him, we will be saved. Saved from what? Safe from all the shortness by which we have fallen. <laughs> We've all fallen short, right? He'll save us. What could be better than that? It seems to be the theme of, of the idea this morning. What could be better than being saved? And yet, it's better than that. Because when he says that we will go in and out and find pasture, he's transitioning to this contrast in verse 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But here's what it is to find pasture. I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. The life of flourishing. See, we want to be saved, but the human heart wants more than just safety. Safety is good. A desire to be safe is normal and natural and healthy. But there's something in us that wants more than just to be bubble wrapped. There's something in us that wants to live, to be fully alive. To experience true life. To experience true overflow. We desire life. Then we see the shepherdness of Jesus. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And these words are so important. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came to invite us into life, and to do so, he had to lay down his own. John Piper said this, the cost for our abundant life was his abandoned life. 
The cost for our abundant life was his abandoned life. He laid down his life for us. If you'll think of it this way, in the the doorness of Jesus and the shepherdness of Jesus, we see how he gives us life. We see what it cost him. We see what his goal was for us. And we see what he had to do to accomplish that goal. We see his mission and his method. In the doorness of Jesus, we see the mission of Jesus. In the shepherdness of Jesus, we see the method of Jesus. Hang on here. The mission of Jesus as the door was to give us his life. His mission, the reason he came to planet earth, was born of a virgin and and lived a life without sin, is so that we could have life. That was his mission. What was his method? How would he give us his life? Here's how. He would give up his life. The Son of God gave up his life for us. That's supposed to be astounding to us. He gave up his life. The problem is this. In this analogy of the shepherd, something's wrong. If a shepherd dies, what happens to the sheep? They're vulnerable. They'll they'll scatter. They're in danger. If the story ended there, we might be saved, but we probably aren't safe. Which is why the story doesn't stop there. His mission was to give us his life. His method was to give up his life and to take it up again. We see that in this text. Jesus whispers about the hope of resurrection right here in John 10, verse 18. No one takes it, my life, from me. But I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down. Let's be honest. All of us do. We have authority to lay down our lives. You can jump in front of a bullet and save a life. You can choose to go to war for a cause. You can choose to go skydiving without a parachute. I don't recommend it. Zero out of ten. You can choose. You have authority You have authority to commit a capital crime. Let's be real clear, because we're live streaming. We do not recommend that you do that. You have authority to lay down your life. But Jesus is the only person who ever lived who said, and I have the authority to take it up again. Which makes him either God or crazy. He alone has authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. And what that means in that whisper of the hope of the resurrection is this. The thief done got thieved. The grave got robbed. He stole life back from the one who seeks to kill. I am the door And I am the shepherd, and in me you can have life abundantly. 
That's the story of Jesus. If you were to continue reading in your Bible this morning, we won't look at it, but the very next verse tells us that the crowd divided when he said this. I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. And the crowd divides. The crowd always divides at the message of Jesus. Those who believe and say, I've experienced in Jesus abundant life that is too real to deny. And those who reject. And those who say, I'm going to keep dependent on me to try to earn my way through. The reality is simply this. In this room, there's that very division. Those who know they've had a moment where they said, I place my faith in Jesus. I believe he is who he says he is. And I believe he has done what he has done on my behalf. And I choose to continue to understand life abundant in him. I want to look one last time at verse number 10. One little beautiful past tense word that changes everything for us. Jesus said, I came. That past tense use of the word coming means this. It's already finished. It's already done. It's not up to you to save you, to earn your way. Jesus has already come. He's already laid down his life. He's already taken it up again. And so life is available to all of us this morning. And here's the simple reality. By by listening to the words of Jesus today, I've put you in a position to receive him or to reject him. And if we receive him, I believe I've put you in the position this morning to celebrate what he's done for you. Because I don't believe we can receive this and be passive. It demands a response. If we were dead and we've been raised to life, doesn't that mean something? Doesn't that change something? Doesn't that deserve a response? Jesus came so that you could have life. Not so that you could limp along and barely survive. I believe life is available to you today. 